We also greet you in the name of Jesus this morning. So, and also a special welcome to our children here this morning. What's the big event that's happening this week? The school children. Nobody, nobody remembers? Back to school? Dennis saying one one time and when he preached a children's message that you should reach into the cookie jar at least once a year and wasn't sure if there's visitors here if this is a good time or not but I was like school children most schools have started and Chicago street meetings but we do have a few visitors so I trust you can get some from the message as well and also our children So what do you think about you think about going back to school this week? Do you think about everything that you need? I know our children went shopping yesterday with Darlene. Pencils, crayons, tablets, clothes, good running shoes. If you go to school for the first day of the term and you don't have everything, that just wouldn't be good, would it? It just wouldn't feel right. Do you have goals for yourself? You think of going back to the classroom. We heard about that this morning, having goals. You have goals to change your study practices, your attentiveness in your studies. Or maybe it's to put more effort into learning rather than just getting through each lesson. What about your relationship with your teachers, other students in your school? And this could also include homeschooled children. With your siblings, with your mom as a teacher maybe. Maybe a good question to ask is, what if all the students at school were just like me? What would school be like? Would school be a place of good attitudes, cheerfulness, love, caring for each other? If everyone's like like I am, would it be a place of bad attitudes, grumpy students, selfish, only thinking about myself? And this is a question I'd like you to consider as we look at a few things this morning. And a question to keep in your mind as you go through this school term. What would school be like if everyone was like me? First word this morning, study. 
And we're going to spend a bit of time in this. This will go into more for older students, the rest of us, and we'll come back with some of the others. But as I looked up this word, I found it was only three times in the uh, King James Version. And they each have a little bit different meaning. And I, as I looked in each one, I, I uh, felt to, to share on each of these words. Studying is a big part of what you do through the school term. It is a foundation to learning. You know, you don't start with a test when you go to school. You go to maybe start with the social studies test. And when you complete that test, you know everything about the countries around the world and the people that live there and how they live just by taking this test. When you answer the test questions, you might have some of the answers right because of hearing about it before. But a lot of them you might just guess because you don't really know anything about it if you don't first study. <clears throat> and then even if you took the test and answered the questions, it doesn't say that you know any more than what you did before you took the test. Studying is when you take a specific subject you gather all the information regarding the subject, you read about it, you answer questions about it, and as you do this, you're taking this information and storing it in your mind for future reference. Some of the things you study about in school you may never use again. Some things you may wonder why you need to learn. But years down the road, you'll find yourself pulling from this information that you study about in school. <clears throat> so the first of our study words in, in the Bible, um, there's probably one that comes to mind. Does anybody have it off the top of their head? That is correct. Turn to Second Timothy. <clears throat> Second Timothy two fourteen to seventeen. Of these things put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. And their word will eat as it doth a canker, of whom is Hymenius and Philetus. And I think I have 17 written down. I'm going to go down to 19. Who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. <clears throat> and I didn't finish there. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Paul's writing to Timothy with the instruction to teach the people not to quarrel about foolish things. Or maybe we could say that we don't argue about things that we really don't 
know about that we didn't take the time to study into. It's so easy to defend what we think is right by our opinions, even if we didn't take the time to study into the subject. And the result of these types of arguments can be confusion. As it says in the first verse that I read in verse 14, by subverting of the hearers, it causes confusion to those that are listening. <clears throat> and it can, it can lead to those that are unbelievers to start believing untruths. <coughs> Studying in school is to learn truth, correct math problems, correct word spellings, correct information about places in the world. And this information is good, but knowing the truth of God is where it is even more important. And in verse 15, Paul gives us instruction on how to learn truth. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Study God's word so we can gain God's approval. When we have God's approval, we should not really care so much about the approval of others. The vain arguments, the foolish arguments are not necessary if we have the approval of God and what he thinks, if we know we are under his approval. And we still care about what others think of us because we value our friendships, but we do not argue these words to approve that we are right. But rather, we live them out in a life that, that God approves of. And when we are doing that, we are a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, even if we are mocked or ridiculed for living truth. And then Paul goes on to tell us how we do this. It's rightly dividing the word of truth. And this combined word, rightly dividing, is only found one time in the King James <clears throat> And it has the thought of, of the base to make a straight cut, that is to dissect, expound correctly the divine message, rightly divide. And straight would maybe be better translated as correctly cut. We're making a, making a correct line, a correct cut as we dissect or, or expound on this divine message. So how do we correctly cut the word of truth. How do we dissect something? <clears throat> we pull it apart and study it. As we dissect the word of truth, we see the nature of God. We begin to understand what God expects of us. And we correctly cut a line between right and wrong. And we live that out for the approval of God and not man. So is there never a time to speak truth? into a conversation. There is, but consider what the conversation is trying to accomplish. Is it a conversation of profane and vain babblings, as Paul said earlier, that will end with and will increase into more ungodliness, or is it a sincere conversation where the goal is to rightly divide the word of truth, is learning the truth the end goal of those participating in this discussion. 
Our second word study is found in 1 Thessalonians 4. First Thessalonians four, nine to twelve. But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed you do it toward all the brethren which are in Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that you increase more and more, and that you study to be quiet and to do your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without, and that ye may have lack of nothing. As we read over these verses, we get the idea that it's referring to our business and our earthly cares of this life. And this thought is woven into these, these verses. But if you go back and read all the verses, the ones above this as well, uh, the heading in my, my study Bible said it's a, it's a life Pleasing to God is what these verses are all about. And each of these study words come from a, the three different study words we're going to look at all come from a different word that it was translated from. The first two from the Greek and one from the Old Testament in the Hebrew language. And the first one we looked at in Timothy has the has thought of study and learning just like we, we talk about here with school. <clears throat> But this word study here in Mercy Lavin has a little stronger, little stronger emphasis on the word. It's to strive, to be eager and earnest about it. <clears throat> and this is what Paul was emphasizing as he was talking to uh, the Thessalonians here. And this is about, this is about ourselves. This is the, what should be most important to us how our life is conducted. We are to learn God's way and to live it out in quietness and to go about our own business in Christ's kingdom. God's people should be known for living in peace and quietness. Why? Verse 12. So we can walk honestly toward them that don't know Jesus. Living in life of good character, personal integrity, and living out the attributes of God, the opposite of loud, argumental, and obnoxious behavior, quiet, peaceable life, study to be quiet. And our third word is found in Ecclesiastes 12, the end of Solomon's teaching. And moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yea, he gave good heed and sought out and set in order many proverbs. The preacher sought to find out acceptable words, and that which was written was upright, even words of truth. The words of the wise are as goads and as nails fastened by the masters of assemblies, which are given from one shepherd. And further, by these, my son, be admonished. By making many books, there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. 
Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. And if we remember Solomon through the course of his life was trying to find fulfillment and happiness in the things of this world. After buying all that money could buy and building everything that money could build and after a life of chasing pleasure, he ends his writing with these words in verse 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. He spent a lifetime gathering wisdom. And he included that with this, this verse uh, in the preacher sought to find out acceptable words. That which was written was upright, even words of truth. And all the wisdom that he gained from his studies, he says, I'm going to give you what is acceptable and what is upright and words of all the things in his life. And we, we picture Solomon with just, and just knew a large amount of, of information. Very wise, wisest man. And he, and he settles it with these, these words in Proverbs and Ecclesiastes that he writes to us and says, this is what I'm going to share with you. These are the truths that I found and this is all that's needed for life. He says, let these words of truth be goads and nails that may fasten to fix or to plant these words in Proverbs that Solomon wrote were to help plant these truths that were given from one shepherd. And in verse 11, the last word there, most of the uh, versions would have shepherd capitalized. And he was acknowledging that these words are from God. He didn't write things that might cause confusion. And he seemed to recognize that God's word was all that was needed, as he said in verse 13. And verse 12 has our word study. And this word is even more intense. It comes from the meaning of a root, meaning to be eager, intense, mental application. And I think this is something that Solomon experienced. <clears throat> He's warning us that there are so many books out there you can read and study till you are weary, but at the end of the day it is very simple. Keep God's commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. So back to the school children. Does this mean that you shouldn't go through school or high school and do all this studying? Is it necessary because of all the studying that is needed? It is. This learning that you're doing in grade school and high school can be very helpful as you get older. I wish I'd put more effort into learning in school. And also, I think going through high school would have been very helpful. Now, as I, as I study, I wouldn't need to rely on spell check so much, maybe, and better grammar. These things are, these things are important, very helpful. And neither am I saying you shouldn't do continued education for specific occupations. 
There's a difference between that and what Solomon was trying to find in his life. There seemed to be a void that he wasn't allowing God to fill, but was trying to find it in worldly wisdom. <clears throat> the warning that Solomon was giving, and I want to give this morning, is the study for wisdom outside of God's word. If we have a void that we're trying to fill with wisdom outside of God's word, we're going to find ourselves in the same place that Solomon found himself. If you're searching for truth without the foundation and the truth of God's word, it will bring confusion and weariness to your mind. Truth will not do that. It will give you peace and quietness and stability. And there are many other books out there that are, besides the Bible, that are safe to read and be very helpful in learning and growing in truth. Just make sure they agree in parallel with the Bible. And history can be very helpful. And I think sometimes these are books that maybe we should read more. They're most times true because they already happened. And we can learn a lot by reading history and not have to learn. Go, You know, each generation shouldn't have to make the same mistakes, but we can learn from others what does and doesn't work in life. Commentary I read on verse 12 is, These collections possessing the authority of divine wisdom, the preacher urges his readers to be satisfied with a few book, a few good writings which shall act as goads and nails rather than to perplex themselves either with reading many books or with making new ones. The word of God is complete. Now, always has been. <clears throat> I'm sure our teachers would say that teaching is fun when everybody... Is it possible to always be cheerful? Should our circumstances ever affect that? There are two ways we can look at this. And it's true, our circumstances can affect how cheerful we feel. You know, there are things that we face in life that can be hard to be cheerful about. But we should never use these things as an excuse to make other people's lives miserable. But we can face our challenges with a godly attitude, even when we don't feel good or cheerful or have those cheerful feelings. <clears throat> the other side of this is there are things that we can do that take away these cheerful feelings. And there are things we can do that give us good feelings. And we're going to touch more things as we go down through here. I'm not going to expand more on this right now. Honesty. You know, being honest can be a big factor in whether we are a cheerful person. 
someone that's fun to be around. We have quite a few stories in the Bible of people who were not honest and what went with that. What did Cain say after he killed his brother Abel and God came to him and asked where his brother Abel was? In Genesis 4, 9, and 10, the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What hast thou done? Thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. It was after Cain committed the sin that he couldn't face God with the truth. But he lied about it, thinking that he could get away with it. Earlier, God gave Cain warning on how to avoid the sin that was before him when he was showing anger and he was upset at God not accepting his offer to him. In verse 7, If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? If thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. So there's some things that we do that can affect the outcome of our of what we do next. And it can affect our attitude. When we make a mistake, we can take God's advice and be honest about it. Most times, if we're not honest, things only get worse. Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5 agreed to lie to the apostles about how much money they received when they sold their land. They decided between themselves to keep a portion of it, but they were going to tell the apostles that this was everything. And they both died immediately after saying that lie to the apostles. Achan, he was honest after his sin was exposed, not before that, and he also was punished with death. Now, God may not punish us with death, death but when we are dishonest we will it will affect our attitudes and if we have christian parents who teach us to be honest our conscience will bother us and take away that cheerfulness that we talked about earlier we know there's something that's not right in our heart I told this story a few years ago for school devotions. Some of you may remember it. But I was in the lower grades at school and our family was at uh, school one evening doing some repairs on something. I'm not sure what. And I was told to get a, uh, to get a yardstick for whatever project they were doing. And after they were done, I took it back and on the way back, I was just tapping things as I went through the classroom, just doinking things as I went. And I must have got a little carried away because after a while I had two pieces in my hand. And I looked around and there was nobody else in the classroom, so I put the stick up on top of the chalkboard above the map that was there and left it go. thought that's the last I would hear about it. But the rest of the evening, I felt miserable. And to add to that, the next morning, the teacher asked the entire classroom if anyone knew what happened to the yardstick, that it was broke. And that was the last place that I wanted to admit that I did it. Not so much that I broke it, but that I put it back and didn't tell anyone. 
what could have been a small thing if I would have told my parents instead turned into many days of guilt that have robbed me of peace and took away the clear conscience that produces happiness or cheerfulness as we've been looking at. Children, all of us make mistakes. And in the classroom, it could be something with lessons. It could be something that happens on the playground. It could be something that happens between you and another student or with the teacher or even at home. And I encourage you to be honest. It may be hard at that moment to admit, to be honest. But after that's over, it brings joy to the heart after you're free from guilt. Obedience, Ephesians 6, 1 to 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. There seems to be something special in this commandment. It says it comes with a promise. And Deuteronomy 5.16 reads very similar. It says, Honor thy father and thy mother, as the Lord thy God hath commanded thee, that thy days may be prolonged, and that it may go well with thee in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. The blessing that comes from obedience is a promise from God. The Old Testament gives a promise of a good life. Good things were going to happen to them in their land. And the New Testament gives the same idea, but we know that the New Testament most times has a spiritual meaning to these promises. And I think it's safe to say that obedience produces a life of joy, which again results in that cheerfulness, that happiness that we were talking, we continue to uh, go back to. But there was nothing about teachers in these verses that I read. For homeschoolers, it is parents. Do I need to obey everything they say? If you go back to the first word, study, and you do that kind of study of the word obedience in the Bible, you'll find that God required obedience from everyone, young and old. And God put people in places of authority to keep order. And order was another word that I had considered using in with the O. And this is, this is what happens in a, in a school system. The parents are under God and the teacher is under God and the parents and the students are under the authority of the teacher. And when this order is kept, school can be a fun place to learn. And you can make suggestions to your teacher. 
and give ideas and say how you think, you know, you might enjoy doing it a different way. But at the end of the day, the teacher's word is correct. Obedience. We're required to obey. And if you do, you will feel so much better at the end of your school day. Others. J-O-Y. Jesus first, yourself last, and others in between. To live this out brings joy. And the words we've been looking at this morning, happiness, cheerfulness. The opposite of others is self. When we become self-focused, we lose the ability to see the needs of others, those around us. And we can add so much joy and, and benefit other people by seeing their needs and speaking into their lives. <clears throat> and we've heard the saying, if I don't take care of myself, nobody else will either. And this is, this is true in some of the physical aspects of life. You know, I need to take care of myself. Need to stay healthy. But these in God's kingdom, we sometimes call it in the upside down kingdom, the opposite happens. If we are only concerned about ourselves, we will become lonely and isolated from everybody else. But when we become more concerned about others than ourselves, and others can feel that, they will very likely be there for you when you need someone. It's a cycle that when it continues, when we look out for others and they look out for us, it is a beautiful thing, a little bit like what we talked this morning as a brotherhood. <clears throat> and children, you may be tempted to think that if you don't do the things your way, you won't have any fun. But you'll be surprised. When you give up your ideas and do what your friends want to do, you'll actually feel better than when you force your ideas on others. And God sees that when you consider others before yourself and he will bless you. Your conscience that bothers you when you do something wrong will also give you the, the good feelings when, when you do something right, when you're doing nice things for others. And when you do this, it encourages your friends to do the same. And you'll always feel better when you put others before yourself. Our last one is love. Don't have a lot to add with this. A lot of this is kind of inclusive in love, in the words that we already, things we already looked at. But who should we love? And the quick answer is everyone. And this is a correct answer, but John expounds on this, who really is, and who this is, 
and our love for some people should go deeper than with others. You know, we can love everyone in a general sense, but this love will tend to be very shallow. Turn to John, 1 John 3. I'm going to close with these verses. First <clears throat> John three eleven to eighteen. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him, because his own works were evil, and his brothers righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. We know that we have passed from death unto life, because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he hath laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. First of all, for the children, you should love everyone. A person that loves Jesus will love everybody else around them. But as I said before, as we look at these verses, there are people in our lives that require more from us than just a general love. And school's a good example. As we interact with a group of other children four or five days a week, we're going to face things with these children that we won't with others. You will need to give up some of your ideas when something else is picked. Or you may have disagreements on how to play something. And John says that we should lay down our lives for the brethren, just as Jesus did. And he doesn't mean that we will die for others, but that Jesus gave up his will so that we can live. And you may need to give up your ideas because you love your love for the other people. The other person is more is stronger than the love for, for your own ideas. And this again results in happiness and cheerfulness. And for the rest of us, Cain killed his, his brother because of jealousy and anger, not because Abel had wronged him in any way. He was lacking the love for his brother that comes through Jesus. And verse 14 gives us a clear picture of the two kingdoms. I think I'll read that again. And we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. And one sure way to know when someone changes from the kingdom of death to the kingdom of life is the love that he will have for his brethren. 
and it will be confirmed by his life. He will lay down his life, his desires, his self-life for the sake of the brotherhood. And this love would not be carried out in word only, but it would be lived out in showing compassion and sharing resources as needs arise. As I view verse 18, he ends with deeds and truth. Now, even though we may lay down our lives, we will not compromise truth. There may be times when we need to stand on truth when others may view it as being unloving. But if we read on down through the rest of this chapter, we can, we can see that we are first commanded to keep God's Commandments. I'm going to read 22 through 24 yet. Whatsoever you ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us command. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him. And he in him, and whereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. So I just want to wish all the children a good uh, school year as you uh, ponder these things and keep that question in the front of your mind as you as you start this week and as you go through the term. What would school be like if everyone was like I am? Let's kneel for prayer.